0: Welcome to Central Line, the AHA podcast. This is the official podcast of the American Animal Hospital Association, dedicated to simplifying the journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine. For every member of the veterinary team, here's your
1: host, Dr. Katie Berlin. Different guests than we normally have on this podcast. Um, he comes to us from the human healthcare side, um, and I'm really excited about that because um, our guest is David Ballard, and he is. Uh, helping us out with veterinary visionaries, which uh, you probably heard about on the episode with uh, Garth Jordan, AHA's CEO. Um, This was... A passion project of Garth's, but now has grown into something that really belongs to everybody in the profession. And uh, I'm really excited about the momentum and traction we're seeing with Veterinary Visionaries so far. It's May 10th when we're recording this, and so the platform's only been open for a couple of weeks, and we're getting a ton of ideas uh, on there already. And we'll talk some more about that here in a bit. But David Ballard, thank you so much for joining us on Central Line.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Katie.
1: I I. I should say, right at the beginning, I have the squeaky chihuahua on my lap, say hi, Frankie. So um, if you hear that noise, no worries. Um, But David, would you mind giving us a little bit of an intro to yourself, how you uh, got involved with veterinary visionaries and um, just sort of what you're up to now?
0: Sure. Uh, So I, I am a psychologist, but I focus primarily on occupational health psychology issues uh i was at the american psychological association for 16 years uh, on executive staff where i was the senior director of their office of applied psychology their center for organizational excellence and their psychologically healthy workplace program so i I do tons of work um, with uh, niosh in the cdc um, with other groups that are focused on workplace health promotion and wellness Um, on organizational level interventions that create a healthy, high-performing organization. And I've done work that spans lots of different industries. So I I was at APA for 16 years. I relocated from there to Northern Ireland. So I I am across the pond Um, at the end of 2019, uh, settled in in January 2020, only for everything to shut down in March of 2020 due to the pandemic. Uh, So that's put a big focus on issues around mental health in the workplace for all people in all industries and in fact, if there's a silver lining, it sort of normalized us talking about those things because it's no longer something that you talk about in secret or you silo off over here. It's something that we've all had to, to deal with and not just an individual level but for employers, for organizations to do the kinds of things to help support people through not only difficult times like the pandemic, but through normal times, even as we move forward, all of these issues will still exist and we'll need to continue to address those. So, um, my, my history has been uh, primarily in, in healthcare, but spanning other industries. Um, I have a long history of involvement with systems-level change efforts to create these healthy, high-performing organizations, uh, as well as a lot of experience developing evaluation mechanisms and recognition programs for these kinds of healthy workplace interventions. So when, when the Veterinary Visionaries Challenge started coming together, um, Karen Meyer, who's also working on this project, reached out to to me. I've worked with Karen in the past on some workplace health promotion and, and well-being programs, and she connected me with Garth. And when I when I Spoke with him, I was thrilled to find out that he was already familiar. Um, with some of the, the large systems change initiatives that are going on in this space like, like the new ISO guidelines for psychological health and safety in the workplace you know, things that are going beyond just telling people to become you know, more resilient and handle their stress better but actually changing organizations to support that and help people thrive so I, I was excited to hear that Garth was already familiar with a lot of that and he was already thinking big when it came to veterinary visionaries so he and I hit it off and the, the rest is history i been working on the program to help put put this together for the submissions and the evaluations and uh, just really excited to help support this important effort.
1: Yeah, we're so excited to have you involved. Um, I think it's really, it strengthens uh, the project a lot to have someone like you involved with evaluating the ideas because, um, you know, I feel like the the idea of a psychologically healthy workplace, you know, which we'll talk a little bit more about, obviously. But um, there are some individuals starting to talk about that a lot in veterinary medicine too, um, Phil Richmond and Josh Weissman um, and Jen Brandt at the AVMA. And these are really, really important conversations because so much of the issues that we have in this field can parallel the the challenges that we see in human healthcare and, and other fields. And we seem like we're a little bit late to that party. The psychologically healthy workplace conversation just took a little bit longer to get started. And I do think you're right, like COVID really exploded those conversations because suddenly a lot of it, it uncovered a lot of weaknesses in the way that we handle mental health and well-being in the workplace um, in general. Uh, in all professions but vet med definitely I'm seeing that from the inside so um, so bringing all that experience is, is so important and I'm really really glad you're here Um, So just uh, one little nutshell summary of veterinary visionaries for anyone who missed Garth Jordan's episode. You should definitely go back and check it out because Garth is so passionate about this. um, And he really shows how much AHA um, and other veterinary organizations are interested in having these conversations now. But veterinary visionaries is uh, solving um, platform right now so it's a it's a place that you can go to submit an idea for helping to solve this big question that we're asking and the question that we're asking this time is how might we build systemic solutions and support for veterinary teams to continuously improve mental well-being especially related to moral distress? ethical trauma and compassion resilience and it's a big big question obviously but we have i think close to 40 ideas submitted now um, on the platform and so and then uh what happens is people can vote on these ideas but the winning ideas um will be selected on the uh how how uh scalable they are, how ready to be implemented, um, how much of a change they can make in the profession. And they'll be evaluated by a panel, including David and um, some other, uh, you know, pretty well known members of the veterinary community and, um, and some mental health professionals as well. Um, so I'm just really excited to see what comes out of this. And if you're interested in knowing more about visionaries, you can go to veterinaryvisionaries.org and we'll put all the information in the show notes as well. So, all right, nutshell over. Uh, (laughs) So David, now that you've had a little chance to spend some time in the veterinary space, talk to Garth, talk to some other veterinary professionals, I'm interested. Um, This is a big question, but I love this question. What one thing... So far, from what you know, would you want veterinary professionals to know? What would you put on a billboard for us all to see on our way to work in the morning? Hmm.
0: That is an interesting question. Um, Well, in in addition to a big thank you, I, I think... I think I, I would say let the tail wag the dog. Play into the veterinary theme here. So I'm, I'm imagining, you know, one of those motorized billboards with the big rear end of a dog with the tail uh-huh. actually wagging on it. And I would say let the tail wag the dog. And I, I don't mean that in a negative sense of, you know, a diversionary or PR stunt to take the focus off of some crisis. But the concept that the smaller parts of a system can create big changes um and you know i i, I grew up and i had a great dane german shepherd mix and let me tell you that tail wagged the dog if, if nothing else um as well as clear dining room tables and other right. things. stories for, for, another, for another time um, but i think those smaller parts of a system can create big changes And we need healthy, thriving veterinary teams to help keep pets healthy, which in turn helps keep families and communities healthy and thriving as well. So, even though it might seem like a really huge task to try to change the landscape of veterinary medicine, if people come together, the collective efforts can really make a big difference.
1: I love that so much. And that, you know, we'll, I also want to come back to that later because um, I think a lot of times we feel like this. Industry, just like so many others, is being taken over by large corporations, and that can ha- that has its benefits for sure. You know, um, they have so many resources and can create so much change so quickly. But at the same time, there are so many things that we can do on a smaller level um, to to create change. And I don't want us to forget that it can feel really daunting at times. So um, I love that it's a great billboard, and you know that every veterinary professional would look up at a big billboard with a giant dog butt. Um, <laughs> tail lagging like we would all see that so that's a good idea you understand us very well already <laughs> so um david how much did you know about the mental health and well-being challenges in veterinary medicine specifically before you started working with with us
0: yeah, well, I guess you know, my my earliest experiences growing up with pets, uh, you know, dogs primarily, but uh, but growing up, I had cats and guinea pigs and hamsters and gerbils and ferrets and lizards and snakes and fish. It was a it you're was one of us. <laughs> yeah. It was a zoo. in my house. So, <laughs> you know, need, needless to say, we we knew the local veterinarian and the, the people who worked in that practice really really well. And one of the things that struck me is that that veterinarians and their staff, they're, they're cornerstones of communities. They know everybody, they know all the families, they, they know all the pets, they they meet the kids and they, they watch them grow up and go off to school. And they generally have their finger on the pulse of what's going on in a community. The way they're situated and the fact that they're interacting with everyone, I, I think it's, it's a real opportunity. Um, so that was my first experience just kind of getting to know veterinary medicine because I was exposed to it so much growing up. Um, and then later on, in, in addition to my psychology degree, I did a business degree that focused on healthcare administration. So most of my experience has been working with healthcare organizations, but there there are a lot of similar issues that, that we'll probably touch on later on in this conversation.
1: So you sort of, although you may not have had firsthand experience with um, the kind of challenges that we face in veterinary medicine, you could extrapolate pretty well that we would face them based on what you knew about about healthcare in general, and that that's really nice to hear. I think sometimes we feel like, um, you know. People outside the profession just think we play with puppies and kittens all day. <laughs> how, well, how could that possibly be hard? But the puppies and kittens come attached to people, which makes everything
0: hard. So. Yeah, people, people do make everything hard. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so, you know, we we hear a lot about self-care these days. And I know Mars did a big, um, big study recently that, um, you know, came up with some sort of big messages from the results that they got. And one of them was, you know, that we need to learn um, coping techniques to handle stress and the the things that we face in vet med. And, you know, self-care is good. And I think there are a lot of different definitions of self-care. But um, if everyone is struggling, which it seems like these days, it's rare to talk to a veterinary professional in any role who isn't having a hard time. It seems like we need more more change at a systemic and organizational level. Um, do you think, which is is scary, <laughs> and do you think that that is possible without dramatically restructuring the way we practice?
0: Yeah, I think this isn't an either or situation. I, I think it's a both and situation. That you know, as you mentioned, self care is important, and and people need to learn and develop effective coping skills and be able to handle pressures and stress. But it's it's totally ineffective to put that onus completely on the individual and just say, well, you need to develop healthier coping skills or you need to become more resilient. Um, And as a leader in an organization or as an employer, if you're putting all these resources into, you know, putting armor on people so that they can handle things better, um, it's not going to be very effective if if you put on all that armor over and over and over and you keep throwing people back into the arena to get beaten up over and over again. It's, it's not only is it ineffective, but it's a colossal waste of resources. So from an employer perspective, you're not gonna get the results you hoped for, and you're gonna waste a ton of money and time and effort and other resources just trying to equip individuals to handle a situation that that might be unhealthy to begin with. And there, there's a, a great quote from an uh, Indian philosopher uh, named Krishna Murthy who he, he said, it's no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. Uh, let's sink in for a minute. It's no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. Um, I, I think the same is true of organizations that, yes, you want people who are well-adjusted, who can cope and, and have the skills to handle things. But is that really healthy if, if you're trying to get them to do that in a toxic environment, in an unhealthy environment? Um, it, it's much better to yes, equip people, but then create an environment that's conducive to those things, that supports it, that takes away unnecessary stressors and hazards and, and risks that they might face and, and help them be able to do that better. That's that's your role and responsibility as an employer. It cannot possibly just all be put on the individual.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I don't know, I'm sure that, um, you know human healthcare professionals are similar because they got into the field because they're caretakers and they want to take care of other people and a lot of times that comes at at the cost of um of their own um well-being and at least uh, temporarily and i i feel like you know vet professionals at least tend to be very um type A high achievers, you know, just like many healthcare, human healthcare professionals I'm sure are. And Mm -hmm. we tend to blame ourselves when we don't know how to fix something or, or feel better. And we just feel like, well, if we were really cut out for this, we should be able to handle this. And, um, so there, it is important for us to have these coping techniques and, um, you know, but there's only so much you can do with yoga and (laughs) you can't, yoga your way out of a bad system and or a system that allows you to continue to be injured um, in these ways. So uh, the question, next question, I guess I have is we do have to do both. We have to take care of ourselves. We have to learn how to do that. We also need to make changes at the higher level. But if we have to pick one to start with, like, does it cascade down? Do we start high level and? focus our resources there do we start with the individual and work up like how do you see that working best
0: yeah i actually think you have to work it from from both ends because as we were talking about the self-care is important but if someone really needs help they need more than just self-care they need more than like you said the yoga class or the tips for how to get better sleep or to get more exercise i mean we we know most of those things that we need to do the problem is we're in a situation that makes it difficult for us to do those things a lot of times so i think beyond the self-care aspect you need to provide professional level supports for people as well. They they need to have access to good mental health benefits. They need to have access to a high quality uh, employee assistance program, those types of resources beyond just telling them what they need to do to take care of themselves better. But then I think you have to, at the same time, address the organizational and job level issues that are contributing to the problem. If there are problems with the way things are, are done in in scheduling or with workload or with conflicts that are happening in the workplace um, that then you need to be able to identify those hazards and remove those hazards to do things to mitigate the risk that they might be facing at the same time otherwise it's not going to work very well
1: yeah and of course that's the hardest answer right it's like we have to put resources into everything but you're right like at this point you just have to scroll Facebook for a few minutes to find solutions for self-care, right? Like um, help with mindfulness or um, a free yoga class. Um, there's some you know great resources on online that don't cost anything that people can can really find benefit from, but alone that isn't going to help. but now it seems like. If we have to focus resources somewhere because those are so ubiquitous now, um, that the resources moving towards a more a, a larger scale uh, reformation of how we train, how we accommodate, how we view our teams um, would be maybe better spent. At least that's how that's how it sounds to me and how it looks to me.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, are there
1: things in human healthcare that have worked that you think we could? Potentially adopt in vetMed?
0: Yeah, I think um, you know there there are a number of things that that you can do that kind of span. There are a lot of tactics that can work. but i but I think it's important to to step back and look at the bigger picture. And and start by creating a you know a well-being strategy or mental health strategy that's linked to the organization's larger strategic and operational priorities. So um, you know you can take examples of you know programs and benefits and practices and you know perks and and things in a workplace, and each one might have some value and might be beneficial but but there really needs to be a bigger picture strategy and that needs to be linked to what the organization's doing as a whole so it's not something that gets shoved to the side or it's not something that you know, there's no priority on because it's not linked to any business outcomes or business goals so i i think stepping back and creating a bigger strategy you know what what are the issues um, and that starts with doing an assessment, actually understanding what, what are the hazards, what are the risks, what are the problems people are facing, where are there opportunities to make a difference, what are the needs and preferences of the people who are working there, and, and use that information to craft a strategy that's going to have a lot better chance of success. If you do it in, a, in an intentional way, rather than just saying, Oh, here, here's this interesting benefit. You know, here's this great app that we can offer people. Uh, you know those, those might all be great, but they need to be tied to a larger strategy that that's moving in, in a certain direction rather than just one off fragmented efforts. Visionaries is a place. It is not a company. You could describe it as an ecosystem of people who care and want to help our profession thrive and flourish. We have a lot of challenges, and many of those challenges we share. So the idea of Veterinary Visionaries is to approach those challenges together. To co-create solutions and to unify our industry's approach to solving shared challenges.
1: To offer ideas and collectively solve these issues that our industry is facing.
0: And do this uh, in a defragmented, inclusive, kind of all under the same tent uh, kind of fashion.
1: We are so excited to announce the upcoming Veterinary Visionaries Challenge.
0: And there will be a grand prize of $2,000. For your
1: big idea on solving mental health issues among vet teams. The Spring Solving Event is May 1st through 27th. Join us at veterinaryvisionaries.org that makes sense so you're suggesting that each organization think about that so whether you're a small practice or a giant corporation you can sit down would you do this with your team or or at least with a leadership team and yeah come up with i, that mean, I think in the most
0: sophisticated cases you know when organizations are doing it really well they're, they're bringing together a cross-functional team of people from the organization who are all at the table, they're all contributing to this because they all have different perspectives mm-hmm. and also different takes on the needs that are coming from the, the different segments of the workforce there. So I think in, in those more sophisticated approaches, you do have a cross-functional team that's, that's working together to create a strategy Um, In smaller practices, it it might be a key leader or a key small group or just a time limited work group that gets pulled together um, to to craft that. But I I think being able to identify and and put down a concrete strategy, link that to what's important to the organization. And and if you really want to get leadership buy-in in in an organization, especially if it's connected to a, a larger group of owners or firm. Um, then, then it has to connect up to the larger goals and strategy and mission of the organization as a whole. So how do all these things you're trying to do? How are they going to affect things like em- employee satisfaction, employee retention and turnover, uh, performance on, on the job, um, I- engagement with the organization, motivation for people to do their best at work? Um, How's it gonna reduce presenteeism? So when people are physically on the job, but they're checked out because they're so stressed and overwhelmed or sick that they can't perform up Mm -hmm. to their full capacities. Um, Link it to those organizational level outcomes so that what you're doing isn't just a nice thing to do or the right thing to do for people who work there. And of course, you know it is the right thing to do for people who work there, but it's also smart business. Because if you do those things, you're gonna set yourself out as an employer of choice, you're gonna provide better quality services to the community um, and, and people want to come and stay there and, and you'll have the best and the brightest who wanna be part of that and doing good things for, for the pets and for the people in the community.
1: Yeah, I I love that picture that I just had in my head when you were talking about having, um, you know, a, a, a team to talk about this strategy, this plan for well-being for everybody in the organization. And you need representatives from people in every role in that organization to do that. And it does seem like, from my personal experience anyway, that we've often had managers at that table. So I've been in practices where these conversations have happened, but it's been a team of managers all talking, you know, so a medical director and an office manager and a practice manager and an owner. And those people may have the best of intentions, but they don't necessarily know what it's like to be a CSR or a, a veterinary assistant or an associate vet. I find that associate vets oftentimes get overlooked there because they think that all vets have the same experience. This is just not true. Um, So don't forget about your associate vets. I'm just putting a plug out there from my own experience. Like, if you're doing this, it's wonderful. But don't forget, associate vets are not partners or medical directors, and we don't have the same day-to-day experience. But um, I love that idea. And it must be so empowering, too, to have people in roles that aren't normally considered leadership roles and making quote marks with my hands because... Everybody can be a leader, I guess, from within, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, but to have people who wouldn't normally consider themselves um, leaders in the practice, but to have a role in shaping how everyone is, is treated um, and how the experience is, is for everyone. And I, I love that idea.
0: Yeah. And you, you really do want people from all levels and in all functions yeah. w- within an organization because they're sitting in a different spot. They see different needs, they have different needs or different preferences, Um, and they might have different ideas about solutions that that might be good for that. So too many times these sort of decisions get made from from the top and then just handed down to people um, without a good assessment or evaluation, without any input from people in the various roles. And then it's all just based on assumptions and it might be with very good intentions, but it's not likely to meet those needs. It's not likely to get good buy-in from people in in the organization, in the practice, um, if they haven't been involved. So that, that involvement of employees from a range of functions and levels within an organization is really critical um, you'll, you'll wind up with um, you know a, a better program better efforts uh, better ideas more diverse perspectives that that come into the mix and when you actually start doing something with those because people have been involved in helping co-create that along the way they already have some ownership of it they want to see it succeed it's not just something that you know a, a senior leader from the top is telling you is gonna happen now this is something that you help create. And so it's it's a lot more likely to go well.
1: Yeah, I, I can totally see that and um, have experienced similar, you know, that myself on a pretty on a smaller scale, obviously, than some of the really big um, organizations that we're seeing, um, you know, responsible for a lot of the, um, you know, clinic ownership and um, big changes that we're seeing in the industry now. And that kind of leads me into my next question, which um, is a tough one, I think, because as someone who's worked for a large corporation uh, knowing a lot of really wonderful people who work for large corporations like Mars and um, and seeing that um, we have often maybe expected changes to occur in the industry for the better for mental health and well-being and um, of our teams at the hands of these organizations you know they definitely all are talking about this now it's a conversation all of the corporations are having and i love that but it seems like we haven't seen them coming up with these lasting change uh, mechanisms there haven't been effective solutions that have made it all better for us can't make it perfect but I feel like things are not getting better in the way that I would hope that they would when people with so many resources and and so much human power behind them um, are having the conversations. So I want to know, in your experience, is this a perception issue? like? As one associate vet who worked for corporate for one year, you know, who's thinking, okay, I'm not seeing change coming out of these big entities. Why not? Is is it really is there really that much disconnect between what I feel like they could be doing and what we're actually seeing being done, or do yeah. they really need okay. to f- to do more?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think there's there's so much variability uh, across different groups, different practices um from from excellent to terrible and everything in between Um, i I think one of the challenges um because there's not this unified community sharing ideas and examples and and kind of learning from each other and moving it forward more collectively um, i I think sometimes those good examples get lost in the mix Mm -hmm. because you know there, there are practices of different types and organizations different types that are doing things reasonably well So the challenge is how do you find those good examples where things are working, even if it's only small pieces that are working well, maybe it's not, maybe it's not the whole program that they're trying to implement that's going well, but there's certain aspects of it that are very successful. How do you identify those and share, share that learning with others and then potentially pilot those things in other places so that, that it can snowball? from there because it it is possible to do it. And I've I've seen it happen in other industries where there's a similar view that across the board as a whole, the industry is lagging. They're they're not uh, consistently addressing these issues particularly well but there are always bright spots within the industry. It just sometimes takes a lot of digging to get to to those bright spots and unearth them. I'm hoping through veterinary visionaries, I'm hoping we see some examples not only of suggestions of things that we could do, but examples where there has been a pilot, there has been something tried out that either went brilliantly or it it went fairly well and then they learned some things from it and we can iterate and, and do better. So I'm hoping some of that learning comes out of it because, with these with these big organizations and these big practices, they do have the resources to to invest and to help share those, where in, in small practices, in small communities, Um, where those same resources don't exist. And it doesn't mean you can't do those things. You can still be in a small practice or in a rural area, um, and and you can address these issues because it'll look different than it does in a big organization. But you can get some momentum if there's a significant pool of resources being put in that then can get translated into learning that can be shared with others and let that take root across the industry more broadly.
1: That is fantastic. You know that comes back to the our priorities need to be both. They need to be self care and they need to be organizational and systemic change, right? And it, your what you're saying, it sounds like is that yes, large entities could be the key to this systemic change across the industry because they have the resources to um, to really disseminate what's working for certain practices but we need those those pockets those practices or there's those practice groups where they are fostering that psychologically healthy workplace and they are taking care of their teams and their teams are seeing results from the systems they've put in place those practices need we need to put a megaphone in front of them and make sure that everybody can learn from their example. Um, and the big entities have the resources to do that. I, I really like that. Um, that paints a really good mental picture of just like, you know, little practices kind of sending up a flare and then the big, big corporations being able or associations um, like the AVMA being able to say, hey, everybody look here. This is a really cool thing. Let's talk about it um, and see if it could work for you. Love that so much. And hopefully that does come out of, of veterinary visionaries.
0: Yeah, I, I hope so, because there, there's a real trade-off between the larger organizations and smaller organizations. I, I think in larger organizations, they have the advantage of the scale, the resources, um, the the even the internal resources to more effectively evaluate the efforts and, and mm-hmm. be able to measure and see if they're getting the results they had hoped for and share, which often in a smaller practice, you don't have those sorts of resources to do that. Um, now, the challenge is in a larger organization, there there's more bureaucracy, there's more hierarchy, uh, there's more red tape to have to cut through sure. to get anything done. And so it complicates things. Mm-hmm. And you also tend to have to offer a broader range of activities or initiatives or a bigger menu of things that you're doing, where in a smaller organization, you don't necessarily need to do all of those things, you just need to do the right things and you know so in a, in a smaller practice in a smaller organization the advantages that they have sometimes is they can do things in a really unique and idiosyncratic way that's a great fit for them if you tried to put that in a big complex organization it would be a mess and they'd never be able to get it done because there, there would always be a brick wall to run into yeah but in a small practice you can tailor things to the very unique needs of the people who, who work there and so I, i've seen very small organizations be able to successfully do things with a fraction of the resources without the whole menu of things, but they identify what, what are the few things that are really important and that really matter that we can do well. And in a way, that's a great fit for the people who work here.
1: I love that. Yeah. I just had a conversation with a really wonderful practice owner who reached out after he heard the podcast and wanted to share what he and his team have been doing over the past couple of years during COVID. Um, And hopefully you'll be hearing from him um, on the podcast before too long because he's offered to come on and talk about it. Um, It was just really, really great to hear about a practice that's taking these steps and and that they're working for that team. Um, And I'm hoping that more people will feel empowered to do that. So definitely if, if you're listening or watching, And you feel like you've been doing some things with your team that are working out well for you, that are creating that environment that you always wanted. And people are feeling safe and psychologically um, healthy and and able to uh, come to management and talk about things and um, create solutions within your practice please reach out to me um, at podcast at aha.org and join veterinary visionaries and post your ideas uh, on the idea board. Um, you, we, we need you to do that. Um, and you heard David, you know, you could be a beacon that we could all learn from. So um, don't hesitate to do it. So um, David, thank you so much. I, I just want to close. I have one question for you um, because we've been talking a lot about, um, you know, having all the voices in the practice heard, all the voices on a veterinary team are important for creating a psychologically healthy workplace. There are a lot of people listening probably who are not in a workplace where they feel like management is going to hear this and just say, okay, we're going to have a big sit down with a committee formed from everybody on the team and talk about how we can make this a safe place. So what, if you could, pick maybe a couple of things that somebody in any role in the practice, veterinary assistant, um, you know, uh, a CSR could start doing regardless of their role to sort of ignite that spark, to have others on the team start thinking about what makes their workplace psychologically healthy. Um, what what would those things be?
0: Yeah, the the first thing I would say, and, uh, you know, it, it may sound counterintuitive in, in that you said it may be in a practice or, or in an organization where, they're feeling like leadership isn't hearing it or they're not open to it. The, the, uh, but the first thing I would say is talk about it, you know, continue to talk about it. And I don't, I don't mean just continue to talk about how stressed you are or that you're feeling burned out or you know, you're know, you annoyed with the conflict and incivility on the team. Uh, you know, we all know those issues, the compassion fatigue, you know, the moral and ethical challenges that, that people face on the job. Um, and, and, I think we all know those things. And one of the things that leaders do is they start to tune out, you know, the complainers or they get framed as the complainers. Uh, But that doesn't mean stop talking about those issues because they're, they're important. But when you talk about it, talk about, the organizational characteristics the way things are structured the way things function in in the organization in the practice that are contributing to that or the things that help offset and and help reduce some of those stressors or remove the hazards and the risk that that you're facing so share that kind of feedback about what the organization is doing Um, If you see ideas uh, of how that could be improved, share that information, Um, you know, create a work group, even if the organization is not going to create a work group or the practice is not going to say we're going to create this, this beautiful cross-functional team. That's like a perfect setup for it. um, You know, create an informal employee group to to start talking about these issues, to start discussing these issues. and then I'd say, regardless of your level, model the kind of behaviors you wanna see. If if the issues are um, you know, incivility in the workplace and there's conflict between people in different roles and people are butting heads, you know, m- model how to behave civilly towards each other, even if they're differing of opinions or, or differing goals and objectives in, in the practice. Model those practices that you wanna see, support each other through all of this, not just, oh, learn to suck it up and be more resilient, but support each other be a force for positive change when you all come together and you know i'd say if you have a great idea and it's not being absorbed there in your practice go beyond your own team go go out broader into the veterinary ecosystem um if submitting something to to the veterinary visionaries challenge that's one way to do it but, but sharing in other forums and with other people who are working in the space, even beyond your particular organization or practice, is not being heard there. Um, because th- there needs to be sort of a sea change and it needs to move in a bigger sense. And when that starts happening, and that starts to become a norm, then those practices who don't do it are re- going to be the places that are disadvantaged, who won't be able to get the good people to who want to work there and who come a- and commit what, what they truly see as a calling in many cases where they want to give back and be engaged in this kind of work. So uh, I'd say keep keep talking about it, stay engaged, support each other, and talk about solutions, not just the problems that are in the organization. And if, if you're totally unheard there, take it beyond there, go bigger, go elsewhere, and start making the bigger change system-wide.
1: Yeah, I love that. That that makes me feel like I could go out and... Fix things like just listening to you talking about that, and I I would encourage anybody if you're feeling like you're hitting that wall in your practice, you know, if leaving the practice isn't an option or if you wouldn't for other reasons, um, do start a conversation with people from other practices. It's so easy to do that now with social media. Um, You know, if you're having trouble figuring out where to go with your ideas reach out to me. Um, you can always email us at podcast at aha.org. I read all those emails and I would love to hear about your ideas. And hopefully we could help connect you to um, to some other professionals who are like-minded because no one should feel like they're alone in this profession. There are so many movers and thinkers and leaders from within um, who are out there just like you thinking about these things. So you don't have to feel like you're alone in that, even if you feel like in your organization, you're you're the only one. So um, please reach out a hand because there are people who want to take it. David Ballard, thank you so much for all of this. This is such an inspiring conversation. And um, I really feel like I, I, I feel more optimistic now after having talked to you that it doesn't have to be quite as scary and daunting um, to create the changes that we need in vet med. There are so many people working towards it. I know we're going to figure it out.
0: Yep, start, start small. You don't have to change it all at once. Just keep yeah. wagging the dog.
1: That's right. That's right. Keep wagging the dog. And I'm going to make that billboard happen. (laughs) All right. David Ballard, thank you so much for joining us on Central Line. It's been a pleasure. And um, we'll see you over at Veterinary Visionaries. We hope all of you listening will come by um, as well, veterinaryvisionaries.org, or look in the show notes for information on how to get involved. We'd love to see you there. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.